Welcome to Article 23, the MOI podcast, all about making work absolutely human. I'm Rhonda Brighton-Hall, the CEO and co-founder of MOI, and I am so pleased today to be joined by Tian Shut. Welcome, Tian. Thanks, Rhonda. It's great to be here. Excited. Yeah, and we're coming Excited. to you from lockdowns, lockdowns all over the place. I'm here in mm-hmm. Sydney in Daramaragul land, up in Karinga, yeah. and you're in Brisbane. Yeah, I mean, I'm on... Uh, Turrbal and Yagra country uh, in Mianjin, otherwise known as Brisbane. And we just got actually announced our lockdown's going for another day. So just, yeah, unlike you guys, I think you guys are on week two. You got two weeks, but we've got an extra day. Yeah, we've got the two weeks right from the beginning, but so far so good. Mm. Mm. Yeah, awesome. So the reason that we've invited you today is you're one of our colleagues, one of the executives in Career Checkers. And today is, of course, celebrating NAIDOC week, an extremely important week where we celebrate the history, culture, achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And who better to share that with you than yourself? You're a proud First Nations woman, a storyteller, and as we well know, a social justice advocate. So I'd love to hear (laughs) about yourself in your own words, not my words that I just used to introduce you. Oh, thank you, Rhonda. And, you know, when you get that question about, you know, who are you? You know, when I hear you describe me in those three phrases, I'm like, that sums me up pretty well. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just want to also acknowledge um, that I'm a proud Wurramai woman. So um, my mob is Wurramai Nation in Foster in New South Wales. And just want to acknowledge my ancestors um, before I get going on all my thoughts and who I am. And just acknowledge the country that I am. Like I mentioned before, I'm on Turrbal and Yagra country in Brisbane. Um, and yeah, so I'm not on my country, unfortunately. And I know we're talking about NAIDOC week today and the theme of heel country. And I guess that's really intrinsic to who I am and, you know, who is Tian. And, you know, there's two phrases that I always think of that summarize me and that's environmental justice and social justice. Those are the two pillars of my identity I guess um you know I obviously being a First Nations woman I'm also Danish got to give dad a nod dad's Danish um so Aboriginal and Danish culture very diverse um you know really blessed to have you know dad thinks we're Vikings so he's he's always like oh we're Vikings and I'm like great that's a that's a proud that's a proud one there um you know but my, my background is, um, you know, I'm a part of the first and the only club, but not the last. So first in my family to go to finish school, first to go to university, first to get a degree, first to have a, you know, air quote professional job, um, but, and the only, um, but not the last, you know, I'm a proud auntie. So come hell or high water, those kids are going to be joining me in this, you know, this new the new world of work and university. Um, but yeah, my background really just comes from my culture, from my family, from my community, you know, growing up in a small little beach town in New South Wales, um, moving to Sydney, Newcastle, moving around a bit, um, being a part of Career Trackers. As you mentioned, I'm currently um, employed at Career Trackers. I'm the program manager for our deadly alumni, get to look after over 900 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander professionals, the most diverse stakeholder group and intelligent stakeholder group ever. Um, But yeah, a bit about me is my passions are looking at the ways that we can improve social outcomes for not just First Nations people, you know, refugees, um, 
marginalized groups, whoever basically is not in power really, um, and how that also intersects with caring for country, environmental justice, and looking at the ways health, education, um, and life is affected by the way that we um, distribute the environmental and social goods in our country right now and our world really yeah it's um we get to work with you quite a bit and sort of when you start to talk about those things uh, I know how expansive your connection out to community and many communities is actually it's very strong and you're a great role model for a lot of those things I think I think your nieces and nephews have got a great aunt to to sort of guide them forward <laughs> as well as many other people I'm sure oh, I want to go to the um I want to go to the theme of this year because it's a big theme it's heal country mm. heal our nation um which is mm. it's it's quite a it, it, it's big and so mm. and, and it's something that we've spoken about before but I really want to hear your views about technically you know on the website and everything else it's about recognizing protecting and maintaining all aspects of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and her heritage but I'd love to hear your thoughts your personal thoughts on what heal country heal our nation means to you yeah it's a great one this year I mean they're all great but because of her we can one was also like a you know feminist loved that one um also my nieces gave me a lot of praise that year and did a really cute speech about because of her weekend and they talked about me at school which was a very teary moment for me um but this one heal country heal nation again that kind of to me puts those environmental justice social justice things together because healing our country and healing our nation and when I think nation I think people I think all Australians you know NAIDOC isn't just about you know celebrating First Nations culture, it's also about bringing people on the journey who previously had no idea or were defensive or just had some, you know, barrier from engaging. For me, and obviously this is me, you know, one black fella, not, you know, I have to, it goes without saying, it's just my view and not the view of any others, um, any other black fellas. But for me, Hill Country, and look, it's, it's really interesting right now because we're in a La Nina um, uh, weather cycle I think I don't know you call it so we're getting lots of rain so those bushfires felt real long ago I don't know about you but COVID has really just yeah. pushed that really tragic awful anxious like that was just insane like that was end of 2019 whenever it was it was it feels a long time ago and unfortunately because we're having all this rain and you know we've got I guess this perception that our country, our environment is doing really well, we're seeing that cognitive dissonance, that lack of focus from both, you know, the government and other, you know, big players in that space around caring for country. You know, you don't have to look too far to see that um, we're not doing a very good job, Australia specifically. Um, and again, a part of my identity and my culture is just so intrinsic to care for country. It's it's that goosebump feeling when I see a beautiful mountain. It's it's the the the, the actual despair. Like it's really hard to explain. I know there's this thing about climate grief, but as a person who's got ancestry for sixty thousand years on this country, it it actually feels a bit like a like a death. Um, you know, Australia was just ranked the last. In the by the UN on climate change action, like we got ten out of a hundred on this report, you know, um, and and to me, like it's frustrating. It makes me angry, um, 
you know, black fellow, but also a young person, like I'm gonna, and my, seeing my nieces, this is the problem that my generation will be dealing with. Um, and, you know, the bushfires, I don't know if you remember, there was a lot of talk about um, indigenous fire burning management practices yeah, and how they were actually, yeah. And it was like, we thought, and it felt like, okay, now we're gonna move towards something that's actually in step with the way our country needs to be managed. And then the big pandemic happened. Um, so I'm really encouraged that the theme this year is heal country because we're in, again, we're in a, we're in a pandemic. People aren't, unless they're me or, you know, you or other people, on the whole, people are just trying not to get COVID, right? Um, fair enough. People are trying to pay their bills, economic stability. We get that. But my biggest passion is seeing the long-term of big picture thinker, um, our short-term decisions are going to perpetuate these bad problems in the future. You know, we are going to see more environmental destruction if we don't do things now. And that's the thing with Hill Country that is how I see it. I see it as an opportunity to have conversations. You know, we talk about, you know, I, I'm a bit of an environmental nerd and my partner's an environmental scientist. So we're just nerding out over here in Brisbane. Um, we talk about planetary boundaries, which means the rate we can go to before we are unsustainable. But based on the way we currently live our life, we need three planets to sustain our life if we'd make no changes. Obviously, we all know we can't create two more planets. So, and then you look at the spiritual side and the spiritual side for me is, you know, and it's it's a really interesting topic when you think about blackfellas and reconciliation and, and corporate sustainability is, you know, um, looking at the way these big companies care for country outside of just doing a consultation process with the people who are on the land really looking at the core BAU of a business um, and just, you know, for me, integrity is a really big thing, a really big value of mine. And, you know, I'm really encouraged to see these big companies stepping up and changing the way they care for the country, but it's not happening quick enough. Um, it's not happening fast enough. It's, it's sometimes a bit greenwash and by greenwash, I mean, um, you know that it actually reminds me of remember when they would when companies would talk about Rhonda um, being 50 50 male female and that was a really exciting thing to do but then you'd be like well what percentage of those women are in the highest paid roles and you yeah. go oh it's actually 30 70 so 50 50 means nothing if women are still doing the so it's the same thing with greenwash it's like a company talking about their I don't know their renewable targets but they are in on the other hand in their supply chain supporting I don't know, fossil fuels, you know, whatever it is. Um, but then you think about Hill Nation, the other part is Australia is crying out to be unified right now. We've got the state governments and the federal governments yelling at each other constantly. We've got people, there's misinformation, there's fake news. People are just trying to do the right thing. Um, people are still scared and that fear is being played on by the media. So for me, the best place to come together is on country. Well, it's a part of my spirituality. It's a part of, you know, how I feel good. But I think this week, this year with NADOC, it's a really good opportunity for, I mean, we're in a lockdown, but, you know, virtual opportunity um, for people to come together as communities to think about what is what what can we do differently this year and next year and 10 years on and forevermore? And how do we do it together? Because that's the core of a black, like of me as a black fellow, it's community and it's country. So 
we do those two things together. And that's something that every Australian can do, you know, doesn't, it's not special to us. It'd actually be more impactful if everyone else did it, not just us actually. But yeah, I guess those are some of my initial thoughts around the theme, Hill Country and Hill Nation. Yeah, I think I think um, it's a really beautiful theme and the way you've just described that and the story is is a nice way to link it together. It's that combination of actual um, land, <laughs> the planet, um, but also community that's on the land. And I think that that's that combination of bringing them together to to heal is actually pretty important. And and obviously front of, of everyone's mind at the moment. And um, both my husband and I come from areas that were very badly affected by the bushfires. So not forgotten. Um, I think there's a lot of us that yes, yes, it's in the middle of winter and it's raining at the moment, but they'll be back unless we think differently. Mm. Um, mm. We, we talk a lot about at Moi, we talk a lot about culture and we talk about this link between culture and identity. Um, what does it mean to you to connect to culture? Culture and culture and identity. So when we say culture, we mean, you know, Aboriginal spirituality, culture, what it is to be a black fella. Um, and identity for me are the same. You know, uh, my culture and who I am as an Indigenous woman is solely based on my identity and how I connect. And, you know, you talk, people talk about, not so much these days, thankfully, but, you know, there are a few um, influential people in Australia who still question Aboriginality based on a skin, a skin colour, um, you yeah. know, and I don't get that, you know, people don't get that so much the, anymore, but you still have a, a fair few people that don't get that. My cultural connection and my identity is about, what is inside of me, not what's on the outside of me. And that is, I think, the key difference, um, you know, for culture and identity, it's, it's what makes me who I am and what drives me and what makes me sad and proud and spiritual because culture, you know, we can talk about Aboriginal spirituality in terms of stories and law, L-O-R-E, and then L-A-W, and then we can talk about kinship. Um, but then at the same time, we have to acknowledge that a lot of that was lost and a lot of that was taken purposefully, intentionally destroyed. Um, so the, the concept of culture and identity has shifted a lot um, because to keep it going, we had to. We, we couldn't rely on the things that were taken. We had to become this new version of what Aboriginal person looks like. And that's why you see a lot more, well, this is what a black fella looks like because this is all I've got um, and this is what I know. So it's highly individual in a lot of ways. Yes, it's still a community-based culture. Um, you know, you'll hear about, I already mentioned my nieces and, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you do what you do for your family and your community and your mob. Um, but when you think of culture in the sense of, you know, I, I went on an exchange to the US and um, Canada a couple of years ago and lived with First Nations Americans and Canadians and seeing how their culture was, their, you know, in air quotes, culture was so intact, which I, to their stories, their identity. Um, and then comp and they would go, well, do you have this? Like, do you have access to this? And we had to be like, not really, like we're trying, but it was taken. So um, it's a very personal thing, your identity. Uh, and that's something that, um, you know, at Career Trackers, we see a lot of our interns go through these identity struggles and we call it, 
you know, our cultural bio, like your biography as an Indigenous person and all the bits that make you Aboriginal are really personal, besides obviously your family, you know, it's, we've all got family, it's our family, it's in our blood. Um, but, you know, it's not as easily translatable, which is, I guess, is the hard thing. But that's why we talk about having truth-telling, connection, community, and just conversations, right, like this one, rather than blood quantums and percentages. And um, you laugh, you laugh. But in America, Native Americans have a card that has their percentage on it. Um, of how native that of how native they are and they are so proud of that card they are they they flaunt it because that is their legal status as a native american obviously aboriginal and torres strait islander people don't have legal rights as indigenous people um so the, the the appalling thing with in america with native americans is if they get below a certain percentage of blood in air quotes blood they're no longer considered a Native American from a legal standpoint. So they lose access to their lands. So eventually, unless they all keep having children together, there won't be any, in air quotes, you know, Natives left. And then those lands will default back to the government. So to me, that's colonization in process very actively. It's almost like but, a long-term strategy. I, I lived in Chicago and I remember... Um, listening and, and understanding the stories of Native Americans, and they were vastly different than anything I had grown up mm. with, and different and a different way of yeah. a different way of talking about it in community and and mm. talking about mm, it totally different. It, it it and it's interesting because a lot of the cultural practices, you know, like a smoking ceremony and you know birthing ceremonies, and a lot of that cultural stuff is very similar. We we I found. You know, we do a smoking, they do something called a cleansing. So it's very similar stuff. But then when you look at the historical, um, you know, obviously America's colonisation started a lot longer than Australia's did. Um, but the key difference that I found um, is treaty. Australia is the only Commonwealth country without a treaty with its Indigenous people. Um, and you even look at it, you look at New Zealand, you look at the, the cultural, like how strong their cultural connection is um, and there are, and how that change, how that translates to you know social emotional well being outcomes for Maori people is hugely different than Australia. Like Australia, we Indigenous people are the most by per capita the most incarcerated people in the world out of any group, and we make up less than three percent of the population. Like I'm not really great at math, but that's an overrepresentation, and you have to start asking why. And one of the reasons why is that cultural loss and disintegration because it was intentional and that's not something you get over in a generation and we've seen you know the stolen generations we've seen the human rights commission's report on stolen generations there's been a lot of talk um about healing culture and identity um but we're not there we're not there yet that's why career trackers exist right <laughs> we we shouldn't have to exist but we do so Reconciliation action plans shouldn't have to exist, but they do. Um, because when the system won't right itself, that that's never ever occurred in history, a system just getting better on its own. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I agree. Um, can I ask one last question? Is um we've had in the last, I don't know, 18 months or so, we've had an opening up on the com of the conversation around um Black Lives Matter based on some horrendous events, but it's certainly sort of triggered people to say let's open that whole conversation up properly and not keep 
just quietening it down. Um, and in Australia, yeah. Aboriginal deaths in custody based on the lack of action since that Royal Commission 30 years ago. Is this a moment that sort of public debate, public discussion, receptivity to an, a different conversation? Is this really a moment or that we can move the agenda forward a little bit? Um, or is it just a, a bit of smoke and mirrors? And if so, and we can move it forward, how should we move it forward? Big question to finish on. <laughs> uh, big, big, big last question. Uh, great question. And Black Lives Matter, like, it goes without saying that, and this was a conversation I was having with a lot of people at the time, was of course Black Lives Matter. They always have mattered, right? Like, because there was that whole, what about other lives and all lives? And it's it was just grossly misunderstanding what the issue was. Um, and from an Aboriginal death and custody point of view, you pointed out that we, we had the report in the 90s, maybe. Um, a lot more Aboriginal people have died since then. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, sorry, people have died since then. Um, whether this is our moment, um, I don't think so. And I don't think so because we've got a really big, we've got a bigger problem, which is COVID. I, I really don't think right now we are going to make much of a change from, from the societal level, right, from the systemic level which is kind of the only level I care about um, because systemic issues re require systemic responses and we can't even roll out a vaccine, right? Like, you know, we're still struggling to deal with this massive pandemic. So add on 200 years of, you know, colonisation and then you add on climate change and then it's, I don't think, it doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we stop. It just means... Unfortunately, because of what we're dealing with globally, I don't, I don't, I don't personally feel like it's going to get a whole lot better. Like if you read the closing the gap report that the government puts out every year, we've gone backwards. Um, in a, and with women as well, women are going backwards. Um, and not just eat, like low socioeconomic status. It takes, I think, from it from as an OECD country, it's going to take four generations for someone to move out of their social, low socioeconomic status, as opposed to someone from, I think, Canada, which takes two generations. So that sounds all very gloomy, but what we are seeing that's really positive is young people being really passionate, people getting more involved in community activism, politics, you know, knowing like what, what the bushfires did in a really positive way, if you can bring a positive out of that tragedy, is it woke people up to a lot of the, the crap that they've been told. Like my sister, bless her, um, calls me and goes, why am I getting evacuated in the middle of the night? What, why aren't the politicians doing anything? And so it actually woke, that term being woke, you know, but it actually did. People don't care until it affects them, right? Like until you were like evacuated, until someone that you know died in custody, until something personally hits you, no matter what the cause is, right? Um, so with Black Lives Matter and Aboriginal deaths in custody, like Australia is pretty woeful um, in, in regards to that. Like what I'm really passionate about and what I talk about that doesn't, you don't need a reconciliation action plan. You don't need to be the CEO to do these things, which is what I think is better right now. I think it's everyday people 
feeling empowered to do the right thing. That's what I'm really passionate about. Everyday Australians, removing all the labels, not to say we don't embrace culture, but just bringing it down to the let's have a conversation because, you know, your trait, your plumber around the corner is not going to give two stuffs about, you know, critical race theory or decolonization. He wants to know how can he just be a better Australian for his kids and his family. Um, and that's coming from my view, obviously. But, you know, what everyone can do that is outside of the politicians, because I don't know, politicians are disappointing a lot of the time. Um, so, expression. You know. what, what can we all do to be better Australians and better for our kids, better for each other? I think that's not a bad place for us to start. And that's, and that's <laughs> it. And it also makes it, it makes it like actual tangible. Because yeah. you get this whole, well, climate change, I can't do anything about it. You know, it's <laughs> like we actually can. You actually can. Um, and that make there's a scale of things you can do. You don't need a lobby or a local MP to roll out organic waste bins, but you yourself could get a compost. So in terms of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and, um, and Black Lives Matter and equality, you know, Leah Armstrong, who is my one of my mentors, she talks about systemic racism. And that's the big, that's the next fight. You know, we talk about the fight back then, the fight now. The fight now is ending systemic racism, right? Institutional racism. That doesn't mean Australia is racist. It just means that the system and structures that were set up 200 years ago were not beneficial for all people. I mean, Section 25 of the Constitution says that the government can bar certain races from voting if they see fit. That is still in our Constitution. Um, but then people try and tell me that there's no systemic racism. And I'm like, have you read the constitution? Um, but everyday people, things that I always say that they can do is calling out stereotypes. You don't need to be the big CEO to stand up for what is right. You can call out racism. You can tell someone, hey, that's not on. You don't need a 10 point plan for how your organization's gonna make it a better workplace. You just need to be brave enough because it actually means more when someone of, you know, let's just say Anglo-Saxon heritage stands up for racism rather than a person of color. Unfortunately, that's how it is. So truth telling, promote the truth. That's the thing that we need to do is actually acknowledge the stolen generations as occurred, A, there's still politicians who disagree that it occurred. I don't say how, but anyway. So truth-telling, calling out stereotypes. <laughs> hey, what was that? I think they're getting rarer. They're getting rarer, thank God. But, um, you know, they still have, they stand in the, in the hallowed halls of parliament sometimes and say some pretty outlandish things. Yeah. But, yeah, so truth-telling, authentically embracing culture, and this is sort of what I talked about before about don't get a ticker box reconciliation action plan. We've got enough of them. We don't need any more. Don't put an artwork in your dining room table and say, look at me, you know, like don't share a black square, like actually embracing culture in meaningful ways. And that's going to be messy. And people just need to get comfortable with making a mistake. You know, if we all just were a little bit less precious about making a mistake, then we'd actually probably have better conversations. You know, for me, like my biggest like area of improvement right now in terms of knowledge is the LGBTQI plus community. I'm not going to, you know, just think that because I'm Aboriginal, I get all the complexities of all the different groups. And I think that's something that they often think that we do, that, you know, we all get each other's problems. We don't, um, unless you're superhuman. So um, 
authentic embracing culture, truth telling. And my other biggest thing is treaty, sovereignty and a voice to parliament. You look at Canada, you look at New Zealand, you look at the way they structure their government, you know, things aren't going to change until we get actual representation across all groups, not just Aboriginal, like an Aboriginal Prime Minister will not solve racism, just like Julia Gillard didn't solve misogyny, you know, it takes critical mass, you know, and that's why I love career trackers, because there's a lot of us coming or existing, um, but I don't know where we started on that one, Rhonda. I went for a, <laughs> I went for a long Black Lives Matter. I, that's where we started. I think we talked about is it a moment in time that we can move the agenda? Oh, that's right. And, and your theory is that no, because there's so many other big things that are going on and that will engulf us and overwhelm us. But having said that, I think your answer sort of explains that is this a moment in time that we can move the agenda forward? The answer is if we want to, and each of us has a role in that. And I think what you just gave us, I love those four things that we can just do and we can literally... We don't need a politician or a leader or anybody to tell us to them. We can literally, mm. we can stand up to racism and understand mm. that our voice is powerful when we use it like that. We can uh, be into truth telling. We can know the truth, hear the truth and tell the truth. We can authentically embrace culture in meaningful ways. Even I love your expression, messy conversations. I think messy mm. conversations are about lots of questions, however stupid they might be, and then listening to the answers and understanding better. And so the fourth one, so standing up to racism, truth-telling, authentically embracing culture, not just a, a painting. <laughs> a painting. But buy paintings. Please buy a painting. Paintings are beautiful. But don't, be, don't, don't let that be your one and only embracing of culture. I love buying paintings, but that's not it. That's, that's, that's economic empowerment of one person. Now time's up by a 1,000 and then talk to me about buying a painting. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And then the fourth one you said was this um, treaty. And I think the, the piece of truth that, that I've learned from you that I think is really powerful in that is when people hear treaty, they think it's this really big open conversation and we need to have it. But the reality is, as you rightly say, we're the only Commonwealth country in the world who does not have a treaty with its First Nations people. That has to say that we're, you know, somewhere alone. You know, with a lot of people have had this conversation mm -hmm. before and thought for way mm -hmm. forward. And we mm. need to do that too. There's one final thing I'll say, and you might have said this to me, Rhonda. I don't know who told me this. So if it was you, claim it. Um, as my problem, I, I, rem I always remember the quotes, but never who said them. So, But I always say they're not my thoughts. So I don't claim them. Anyway, it, it that what you just said about treaty and being the only um, country without one, a Commonwealth country, um, it reminded me of the, the, the postal survey and the same-sex marriage um, debate and when other western countries had already done it you know they've already made it into law and someone explained to me that what australia did with the postal survey and what we're doing now with the treaty is like showing up at a party late 10 minutes to midnight and uh, and debating whether there should be a party even <laughs> existing but when you, you know what happens when you get when you rock up late to a party Rhonda what do you do you quickly grab a drink and you pretend like you've been there the whole time <laughs> and that's and that's what Australia should have done with the same-sex marriage rather than spend all that money but what we did was we got on the world stage and said should we even do this when all these other countries had already done it and it's the same thing with treaty it's like we've rocked up to a party that's been going on for 600 years and we're debating whether it should even occur 
Like that's just, you don't do that. You, you just don't do that. I don't know. Did you say that to me? Whoever said that to me I, can come and claim I'm, it because I don't I'm remember. Very, as you know, I'm a very staunch and long-term ally of the LGBTIQ community. Mm. I was very um, impassioned and involved in that debate. But having said that, I didn't say that. I wish I had. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe someone will listen to this podcast and email me and say, Tian, those are my words. And I'll go, okay. Because it just really, it makes you go, that's just... It really sums it up because what happens when you go to a party? You go, oh crap! I'm late. Grab a drink, slink in the back, pretend like you've been there the whole time. Whereas and then what no one we do is what we did. Yeah, we've arrived a bit late. We could say, "Hey guys, what's been happening?" <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You don't stand well. in front of the party and say, well, "Should this party even occur? Should be even be happening?" <laughs> anyway, you got to laugh or else you cry, right? <laughs> Um, Tiana could talk to you all day and often do so um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your ideas and your knowledge and experience with us and with the people who listen to our podcast um, it's just some beautiful examples and it's always so practical and so inclusive you always reach out to sort of say these are some fierce points we need to get through but let's join other people into the conversation so they can join it too so thank you very very much for your time really loved having you on the podcast today uh, happy NAIDOC week is that how we say it thank you um, every day is NAIDOC week in my life. So, you know, but yeah, happy NAIDOC week. Just I'm excited that I hope that lockdown can end so we can actually get out in community. Because last year, I don't know if you remember, NAIDOC was moved to November. So they pushed it back. It was too. Um, so, yeah, wow. Yeah, so it was, and it was really weird celebrating NAIDOC in November. We we're all just a bit like, it's nearly Christmas. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed, you know, some communities come out together and um connect and culture and on and on country yeah i hope so too so don't forget mm. the four things that we can each do to make this moment a moment when we can all take it forward so it's standing up to racism with our own voices and our own power whatever that may be small or big truth telling hearing the truth listening to it and telling it authentically embracing culture in meaningful ways including buying paintings but not only buying paintings <laughs> And then uh, understanding the history and where a treaty has come from, its voice department, how important it is right now that we engage in that conversation, understand it and participate mm. properly. Um, thank you so much for having us. That is all of us, all from us today on the MOI podcast. Big MOI from us, uh, from the MOI team, myself and from Tian. To stay in touch with our community, please jump on our newsletter or better still join our community of subscribers as well. You can do that by contacting us at team at moi, M-W-A-H.live, or you can visit our website at www.moi.live. Big moi from us. Thank you very much.